The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. I want to start this episode off with a shout out to our two newest Patreon supporters, Carrie and Hannah. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. And to all of our supporters, we truly appreciate you more than you know. Without you guys, we would not be able to continue to do this podcast. Yep. You guys make it so we're able to do this. We love you guys. If you want to join Carrie and Hannah and become a Patreon supporter, you can do so on our Patreon page. Um, They have a new program going now with like some free memberships. Um, Those are a tier option where you don't have to donate anything to be a Patreon. Um, However, it will not have all of the content that the other tiers have access to. And that includes our whole catalog of Patreon exclusive episodes. So... Um, there's that plug for today and you guys are going to have to excuse Chris. He's got massive hiccups. I have, I am in the middle of the worst hiccups I have had in a long time. So I apologize if you just hear me sounding like a drunkard in the background. (laughs) All right. So without further ado, we're going to jump back into yet another serial killer. The serial killer dentist of St. Louis, Glennon Engelman. Dr. Glennon Engelman was born on February 6, 1927 in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Engelman grew up on the south side of the city and he felt a deep connection to that neighborhood. After serving in the military, Dr. Engelman used his GI Bill to go to Washington University and become a dentist. He opened his dental office on the south side of St. Louis, serving the community he had always loved. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. Dr. Engelman, who was known to most as Glenn, was married to a woman named Edna Ruth, but they divorced in 1956. By 1958, both Glenn and Edna Ruth had remarried. Glenn was operating his dental office and appeared to be very successful in the community. On December 17, 1958, citizens in Forest Park noticed a bloody man stumbling. The man, James Stanley Bullock, soon soon passed from his injuries. These injuries were caused by a gunshot. I think they said it had a birdshot in it. Okay, so it was a shotgun. Um, So he just, like, comes stumbling into Forest Park where there's other people, and he's just, like, full blood. No one really understood why James Bullock would be shot it didn't make sense this wasn't somebody with enemies or who was involved in illegal activity or anything like that um james was 28 years old he was born on april 17th 1931 in desoto he was raised in shiloh illinois by his grandparents and later his aunt at uh, sometime in his lifetime he lost both of his parents According to an article from 1938, the then seven-year-old was living with his grandparents in 1938, enjoying attending school and returning to St. He liked to go fishing. And 
after he went in the military, he returned to St. Louis to go to college. Okay. Back in St. Louis, James met Edna Ruth, the ex-wife of Dr. Glenn Engelman. The two married, and six short months later, James was dead. An employee at a local sanitarium initially claimed that James was there four days before the murder, asking to be admitted because he was scared for his life. But his wife and his aunt, who had raised him part of his life, said, you know, that's not true. There was nothing wrong with him. In fact, the three of us were having dinner that night. He couldn't have been trying to get into a sanitarium. And isn't that just a weird concept anyway, to put yourself in a sanitarium because you're scared? Well, he might have thought he was getting, like, schizophrenic or something. I don't know. It was interesting. Yeah. But nobody knew who would want him dead. It just didn't make any sense. But we did know who benefited. Edna Ruth greatly benefited from her husband's death. She had life insurance policies totaling over $64,000, which is a lot of money in the 1950s. Yeah, it is. While under questioning, Edna Ruth made several weird statements, including telling police that, yes, she was married before, but her husband did not know. Who was she married to? Her husband's dentist, Dr. Glenn Engelman. Edna Ruth had lied to James and his family and lied on the marriage application about being married before. So why does somebody do that? I don't know. It's kind of odd. You know, it's definitely making them look at her like, did you do something here? Oh, yeah. Police also questioned a local career criminal who was out on parole for assault at the time of the shooting. They weren't able to definitely tie him to the murder of James, but they did note that he lived right next to Dr. Engelman's office. Dr. Engelman and Edna Ruth both refused to take a polygraph test and denied any involvement in the murder of James Bullock. Dr. Engelman's new wife, Ida, refused to be questioned by the police also. Um, and really, like, they couldn't get anywhere because they had no probable cause. So they had, you know, no way of compelling them to cooperate. But you've got Dr. Engelman, his current wife, and his ex-wife all, all say- refusing to participate. All saying, no, we ain't doing nothing. Right. Now, there was a patient who provided Dr. Engelman with an alibi, but there was another witness that said, no, that's not true, because I went to the office at, I think it was like 7 in the evening. He's like, I went there at 7.10, and there was nobody there. But then another patient's like, no, I was sitting in the chair, and Dr. Engelman was working on my teeth at 7.10. So although they knew that James Bullock had been murdered, they really couldn't tie anybody to it but i was surprised when i was researching that the newspaper articles from that time i mean they pretty much say they thought dr engelman had something to do with it like the things that they printed back then you couldn't get away with now right they were they were probably able to be like oh no we are suspecting him and we are condemning him right now right like it just surprised me how open they were about accusing the doctor um and the case goes cold there's just no, there's no proof of anything, even though people suspected things. And so the widow of Mr. Bullock, she begins teaching school in Kansas and living near her mother. And Dr. Engelman just goes about his business. Um, 
the funny thing is, is, you know, his ex-wife got all this money from the life insurance. And before she went to Kansas, she invested a big chunk of it into Dr. Engelman's business. That's fucking weird. Right? Like, why would you invest your husband's life insurance money into your ex-husband's practice? Unless maybe you're paying him for something. Possible. I don't know. Something seems kind of kind of weird. And so over the years, you know, the next couple of years, Dr. Engelman's practice really starts to struggle because a lot of the people in his community couldn't afford their dental care. But he wanted to help his community, so he was providing this care anyway and not charging. So he starts having trouble. Well, that's a good, I mean, at least. It's bad business practice, but good community intentions. Yeah, something like that. Um, So, I mean, you would think he'd be on a tight budget, but instead he invested in a drag strip along with a partner in that business named Eric Fry. And so he was very close friends with Eric and his wife, Sandy. On September 26, 1963, Eric and Dr. Engelman were at a drag strip using dynamite to explode and then fill abandoned cisterns on the property. So I guess that makes sense, right? Like you're blowing it up and then you're filling it in. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So Eric was laying on his stomach near one of the cisterns when the dynamite exploded quicker than anticipated and eric was killed instantly and was found lying in the bottom of the cistern so he was out there with sandy and dr engelman when this happened the coroner hd steinbeck ruled eric fry's death as accidental mr fry's wife had an insurance policy on her husband and guess what she invested part of it in dr engelman's business hmm Are we seeing a pattern The suspicions have turned even more. Right? Dr. Engelman divorced his wife, Ida, and married his third wife, Ruth, in 1967. The couple shared a son, but Ruth hated the close relationship her husband had with a young woman who worked in his office named Carmen Miranda. So, Carmen has known Dr. Engelman since she was, like, two years old. And as she, like, enters adulthood or teenhood whatever i'm not sure exactly the timeline here he takes a special interest in her and offers to train her in his office as a dental assistant so his wife is very not happy with this she feels like her husband's flirting with this girl probably having an affair yeah she's very insecure about it dr engelman however claimed that he's only trying to help the people in his community In fact, he didn't just hire Carmen. He also hired her brother, Nick, as well. Ruth was relieved, though, when Carmen met a a man and married him named Peter Holm. You know, she, she probably thought, good, now Carmen's got a husband and I don't have to worry about mine. But just a few months after the wedding, Carmen and Eric were walking in a rural area in Pacific, Missouri. It's an area where... There's known caves and scenic paths and things. So they were exploring out there and suddenly somebody fired a shot. It hit Peter in the head and he died instantly. Carmen was hysterical. She flagged down help and near the scene, police found things that made them think somebody was out there target shooting. There was an X marked with tape across a tree 
almost right behind where Peter had been standing. So the idea is that somebody was target shooting at that tree and didn't know he was there. Happened to be a coincidence. That's a lot of coincidences, though. Isn't it? The area was familiar to locals as a hunting and shooting area. And police really just believed that this was an accidental death. And so that's what it was ruled. But, you know, Carmen had a good amount of life insurance on Peter. Uh, it totaled $60,000, which is equivalent to about $300,000 today. Damn. Yeah. Um, Dr. Engelman and Ruth divorced soon after this um soon after carmen's husband died at which time dr engelman married young carmen miranda it's kind of creepy a little bit it's just a little, god i'm so sorry about the hiccups guys but that's really creepy yeah a little bit it certainly is and i you can see like ruth obviously had good reason to suspect them of having an affair you know he had known her since she was a kid and i don't know whatever their son stayed with his mother, um, Dr. Engelman's ex-wife, Ruth. But even though Dr. Engelman married Carmen, Dr. Engelman and Ruth still were meeting regularly to have sex. So he was a hoe. I guess so. It sounds like it. Dr. Engelman constantly had extramarital affairs, which included previous affairs with Carmen, Ruth, and even Sandy Fry, Eric Fry's widow. Isn't that interesting? Another one of Dr. Engelman's affairs was with a patient named Barbara Boyle. On November 3rd, 1977, someone pretending to be from the Farm Bureau walked up to the farmhouse owned by Arthur and Vernita Goosewell in Edwardsville, Illinois. Soon after entering the home, the elderly couple were attacked and both were shot in the head. The wealthy couple left $340,000 to their son, Ronald Goosewell, and guess who he was married to? No clue. Barbara Boyle. The coincidences just keep Dr. adding Engelman's up. Dr. Engelman's mistress. <clears throat> God, I'm sorry. They just keep adding up. On April 4th, 1979, less than two years after the murder of his parents, Ronald Goosewell was found dead inside his car outside a hotel in East St. Louis. The man had been beaten and shot to death. He had been missing for four days before they found his body. Following her husband's murder, Barbara collected his inheritance in addition to several life insurance policies, basically the equivalent of $1.7 million in today's money. So, like, you can see this pattern. You can also see that this greed is getting stronger. These policies are getting bigger. Right. It sounds, yeah, it really does sound like it. And guess who Barbara Boyle gave money to out of the insurance funds? Dr. Engelman? Dr. Glennon Engelman. Following the murder of Ronald Goosewell, authorities were obviously very well aware of the trend connecting deaths to Dr. Engelman. Like now. Now they're like, and it's not even just the deaths. It's the payments afterwards. Right. His patients and community, though, only saw a generous man committed to helping his community and its citizens. You know, we saw that when we covered the deadly doctor of El Dorado when we talked about... Um, him and how the community just saw him as perfect 
and they just couldn't imagine that no their doctor couldn't do these horrible things so like we we place doctors on a pedestal like they're more than human you know it's just weird so at this point authorities are very suspicious um but they don't really have anything to go on it's just suspicion they don't have evidence but dr engelman was apparently not the greatest dentist Aside from giving away a lot of free work and putting his business in debt, he often did a sloppy job when he made cast for like dentures and dental appliances. And because of this, the dental lab had to redo things several times. And it got to the point where the owner of the St. Louis Dental Lab, Sophie Barrera, she kind of got tired of doing it for free and started charging him for all the redos they have to do because he didn't do his part. And his business started to go into debt because he owed a lot of money to Sophie Barrera for the St. Louis, uh, the South St. Louis dental laboratory. He owed her about $15,000, which 1980 money is a lot more than what it sounds like. Sophie Barrera owned South St. Louis dental laboratory and had grown tired of waiting on Dr. Engelman. She filed a lawsuit and, Um, In 1980, that lawsuit was getting ready to go to court. But just a few days before the lawsuit went to court, Sophie Barrera was murdered. On January 14th, 1980, Sophie entered her vehicle in South St. Louis shortly after the vehicle exploded. Police found remnants of a bomb under her charred vehicle. Sophie had told her son before she was in fear of being killed. Her son, as well as Sophie, apparently, according to the son's statements, believed Dr. Engelman was dangerous. Damn, now we're making car bombs? Right. Like hell. So police immediately go to Dr. Engelman. He's suspect numero uno. And they question him for three hours, but they have to release him because there's nothing to hold him on. They were absolutely positive that he was a murderer. But they didn't have any evidence to prove it. Dr. Engelman was not stupid. He knew how to handle questioning. He was right. questioned in every one of these situations. And he never gave up and anything. And never gave up anything in any of these cases. The public also wondered if it could have the bombing could have been related to a series of car bombings between two mob families fighting over control of the St. Louis labor unions at the time. People forget that... It wasn't just New York and Chicago that, like, oh, God, we had we had mobs down here, too. Yeah, and apparently they were pretty violent yeah. in the St. Louis area yeah, in like it's, and 80. Yeah, like, it's, people are like, oh, the mob, oh, I'm an Italian, I'm going to fuck you up uh, in New York. Uh, oh, no, we're going to fuck you up bombing style in St. Louis, bitch. <laughs> so, God, the... <laughs> The general public is kind of wondering if this is mob related, but Sophie Barrera had no ties to the mob. The evidence indicated this was not a a mob hit. Um, I don't remember exactly what the situation was, other than it was something about the materials. They knew it was not like that's how you like consistent with the mob bombing. Like all these bombers, like Timothy McVeigh, uh, the Unabomber, all of them. Like every bomber has a signature. Like, the way they build it are with the materials and shit. So I'm sure yeah. they're like, oh, wait, no, this was built completely different than right. the, these bombs. Over- I'm so sorry. Oh, these hiccups, bombs hiccups. over here. So 
at this point, the St. Louis detectives, they know Dr. Engelman is responsible. They know that he is dangerous, but they don't know how to prove it. They began to have conversations with Dr. Engelman's ex-wife and mother of his son, Ruth. Ruth told police nothing at first, but eventually she started to talk. She explained that Dr. Engelman had often bragged about killing people. He told her that he had a superpower. His superpower is that he's able to kill people without remorse. What a beautiful thing to say to your spouse. It's a sociopath. Right? He told her that not only did he have this superpower, that he had used it. He admitted to killing Eric Fry, Peter Holm, and the Goosewell family. It was his side hustle, killing for profit. Who would have thought a dentist was going to be the one to kill for profit? Isn't there something somewhere? I'm just thinking like the whole nine yards, those movies where Matthew Perry plays a dentist and they say dentists are most likely to commit suicide or something. I, I've never seen that movie. so. Oh my gosh, we're watching the whole nine yards tonight. You'll yeah. love it. Well, not tonight because we're going to bed. Matthew Perry and Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, my God, it's so good. Okay, anyway, back to the story. Sorry. Um, there is a whole show called Deadly Dentists, by the way. So apparently it's a thing. I don't know if it's a terribly common thing, but it's common enough to have a show. But so are nurses. So there's that. Um, but so they're hoping that his ex can use her information to help them. But here's the problem. Everything that he said to her was when they were married. And so Dr. Engelman was protected by spousal privilege. I didn't think that that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Like when it comes to murder. You're allowed to tell your spouse anything. And that's protected just as much as if you told your lawyer. So when when you go crazy and you do all kinds of horrible things, you can tell me and it won't matter if I t shout it from the rooftop. Okay. I don't think we're going to need that, but okay. Let's hope not. Anyway, so they asked Ruth if she would wear a wire. And she was a little hesitant. She was afraid Dr. Engelman was going to kill her next. But she agreed to do it, and she met up with him wearing a wire. And they were doing an exchange of their son. And, and sometimes they were just meet up to socialize. Like I said, they were still having an affair, now, even though he was married to somebody else. Um. He never said enough, and he seemed to be acting like he was getting suspicious. And so Ruth says, you know what? Plant a bug in my bedroom. I'll invite him over for sex. And when we're in bed, he won't suspect anything, and he'll tell me more. And so they did, and, and he made some comments, but it wasn't enough yet. And so she agrees to meet with him one more time. This time, he wants to go to a diner. So she's like, I think he's catching on so he's trying to take me to a public place where people can't you know where it's going to be harder to surveillance and um so they go and he is seemingly thinking that everything's okay but that's not exactly you know how it ended up because eventually he made a comment well ruth ruth baits him she says aren't you afraid carmen's gonna tell and he says, no, I'm not afraid of that because Carmen and I are homicidally intimate. And that is way more important than being sexually intimate. It's fucking creepy. So, like, that begs the question of, was he really doing all this for money? 
Because it right. seems like he kind of gets something out of it, right? Right. It sounds like it. But they finally had enough that they didn't need Ruth anymore. They were ready to make some arrest. And so they put Ruth and her son in witness protection program. Carmen, who was no longer married to the dentist, and her brother Nick were brought in for questioning to collaborate the allegations against Dr. Engelman. Apparently, Nick and Carmen were both involved in Peter Holmes' murder. As possible co-conspirators, they asked for and were granted immunity if they testified against the dentist. So how do you feel about that? Uh, no. Like, I get you want to get the killer, but... She is a murderer, too, though. Right. Because Carmen tells quite a story. She says that she started working for the dentist, and it was actually his idea for her to find somebody to marry. He told her it would be okay. He had done it before. He said marry somebody with good benefits, who has a job that carries death benefits. He suggested Eric Fry. Um, I'm sorry, no. He told her about Eric Fry, and he said that, Sandy actually had married Eric Fry at the dentist's insistence because they were having a sexual relationship. And he said, so I killed Sandy's husband and it was fine. So find this man, marry him, I'll kill him, and we'll both get rich. And so that was the plan. Soon after she was married, Carmen said Dr. Engelman told her where to go and to make sure her husband was shot and killed. And so he set the whole thing up, told her exactly where the tree would be. He had marked it, and he staged it to look like a target shoot accident. Psycho. Right? Glennon Engelman was finally arrested and charged with murder in 1980. Carmen testified at Dr. Engelman's first trial, for which he was convicted of murdering Peter Holm and given a 50-year prison sentence. Mm -hmm. The dentist then pled guilty to the murder of Sophie Barrera to avoid the death penalty. So, what do you think about that? Uh, fry. Like, no. that Like, there's murder and then there's planting a bomb right. that has the possibility of killing more people. Yeah. <clears throat> so, he ended up no. avoiding the death penalty. He was given a life sentence for Sophie Barrera's murder without parole. But he was back in court by 1985 in Illinois. In 1984, Robert Handy, a convict and acquaintance of Dr. Engelman, admitted to authorities that he had taken part in the murder conspiracy of the Guzwell family. He implicated Dr. Engelman, who had bludgeoned Ronald Guzwell and shot him, as well as Ronald's widow, Barbara Doyle. Dr. Engelman was given three life sentences for the Guzwell murders. He was also convicted of federal mail fraud and given an additional 30-year federal sentence. He is believed to have killed at least 12 people, including conspiring with his first wife to kill her husband, James Bullock, although um, his wife was never charged with that due to lack of evidence. Um, and so from there, he's going off. Like, he's in prison never going anywhere but there's more people involved in all of these like schemes these were not dr engelman by himself yeah at least he's not going anywhere now right. let's get the other fuckers that are like we're part so, of this nick and carmen both got immunity so they were not charged with anything okay barbara boyle went on trial for the murder of her in-laws arthur and vernita Goosewell, and her husband ronald 
The jury acquitted her of the murders of Arthur and Vernita, but convicted her of conspiracy to commit murder and the death of Ronald Goosewell. Barbara Boyle was sentenced to 50 years in prison in 1985. She was granted parole in 2009. Nope. You're just as much of a murderer as he is. Yep. It's kind of crazy to think about that. She served 24 years and she killed three people. Conspired over a couple of years to kill three different people. Yeah. Dr. Engelman, after he goes away to prison, he seemingly like enjoys his notoriety. He even told multiple people that he was as notorious as legendary outlaw Jesse James in the state of Missouri. So he's a narcissist. We're, we're figuring that out. A little bit. He like, is... this was all of a notoriety thing for him. Mm-hmm. Like, being able to get away with it, get the money, and then, like, know that, oh, I, I've gotten away with killing all these people. I think he got some, like, weird sexual gratification out of it. Too. Yeah. The fact that he was sleeping with all these women. After the, like, yeah, like, that's fucking weird. It's just bizarre. And marrying them. Yeah. Dr. Engelman um, never felt any remorse. Unlike other serial killers, he was inspired at least in part by greed. Um, He thought it was amazing he could not feel remorse, which is frightening. Dr. Engelman died of a diabetes-related health issue in 1999 at age 72. He was incarcerated in Jefferson City at the time. So what do you think of our serial killer dentist? I mean, you killed with a bomb. That's like that. I don't think we're going to see that again. So we went, he went, started killing at least the ones we know of from 1958 to 1980 before he was caught. Right. So how many more does he have under his belt that they don't know about? And what's crazy to me is, like I said, when you look at the newspapers long before he was arrested and went to trial, they pretty much indicate from the get go that they think he's responsible for each of these crimes. I think maybe with the exception of the Goosewell murders in Illinois, it wasn't quite as clear. But yeah, it's well, I mean, sometimes sometimes public opinion's right, right? <laughs> you know, like because they would it's never kind of, post an article like that in today's world. No, of somebody that's not been charged or anything. It's kind of funny that it was like the best known secret of St. Louis, right? Like, it just, like, it boggles my mind that they were able to just, yeah. See, want to know another weird thing that happened? Sure. In the 1960s, Dr. Engelman actually was arrested because a girl's brother claimed that he performed an illegal abortion when abortion was outlawed. Oh. But it doesn't seem like he got convicted because he never went to prison and he kept his dental license. But he was charged with doing an illegal abortion. And I was thinking about that, too. Was that something he did in his office for the people that couldn't afford to go to the dentist? And like almost like another way he thought he was helping his community. Right. I don't know. Just kind of strange. But this has been the story of the deadly dentist, uh, serial killer dentist, crazy psycho dating girls he's known since they were babies dentist. Yeah, that's Lennon Engelman. That's really fucked up, too. Isn't it crazy? There was a movie inspired by him, too, called The Dentist. But The Dentist is um, it's more about like a dentist who has uncontrollable rage and 
Right. Like, it's just a little bit different. It's not factually based, but he was the inspiration for it. So, yeah. Interesting. But if you guys want to see my references, you can find them on our blog, uh, www.midwestcrimefiles.com. If you click on the article, go all the way to the bottom, you will see my references. Um, anything else you guys uh, have for us, if you want to send us some messages with some case suggestions. Um, we're almost halfway through, I think, our serial killer episode. This is halfway. So send me some recommendations if you've got them, and we will see you next week. Bye, guys.